Good to not see you this morning. I say that tongue-in-cheek, sarcastically. I would much rather see you. But it's great to see you join us. It's great to see you online. It's great to see the numbers high each week of people that want to worship. And uh, we, we are missing out on fellowship in, in many ways. We talked about that last week, Doctrine of Fellowship. But we're still a community. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And some of you might think, well, last, we did fellowship last week. Isn't that the same thing as community? Aren't those about the same? Well, a little bit. Fellowship is something that happens in a believing community, people with faith. It's pretty hard to do fellowship outside of the church. Uh, but anybody can do community. Uh, God's designed both, and he has different things to say about community than he does about fellowship. Fellowship is what we do within the body of the church, but community is everyone. We're going to see that this morning in our passage. We're going to be Matthew, or, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter tw- uh, 12, and we're going to be verses 28 through 34. We're going to jump into that in just a second, uh, but before we do, let's pray. Lord, thanks for our time this morning, and thanks for your word. Thanks for ongoing direction that we get through your spirit and through those around us, even from authorities in our life. But most importantly, Lord, thanks for your direction through your spirit that we can commune with you, as we referenced earlier. And I pray, Lord, you would teach us how to tune into that how to gravitate toward it, decipher it, translate it. We want to be close to you. We want all of the things that we just sang. And then, Lord, we want to be clear on how you see community. So be with our time, Lord. Be with our passage. Uh, Be with our own clarity as we take these things in. uh, And may you guide it. In honor of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump in. We're uh, Mark chapter 12 uh, again, uh, verse 28. So we're almost to the end of the chapter 12. We're almost to the end. We're getting close to the end of the book. Uh, Mark, we're getting pretty far in. And in fact, we've got some uh, other passages that uh, parallel this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, in Luke chapter 20, um, all kind of similar stories, um, almost word for word. Uh, But Mark says his a little bit differently, and that's why we're going to look at it this morning. And so uh, let's go ahead and jump in. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Here we go. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, you've heard this before because in the church, we love to talk about the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Well, we get that from another passage, right? We we got the Matthew passage, we got the Luke passage. Uh, It says here, it says, what's the most important? What's the most important passage? Most important thing. And notice the motivation for why they asked the question. And notice who's asking the question. They're trying to figure out, can they get him? And they are the scribes. They're disputing. They're trying to figure out, how do we discredit Jesus? They're not really asking because they want to know what the most important question is. They're asking to see if they can catch Jesus getting it wrong. Uh, Good luck. And by the way, never try that experiment. Never try the experiment, uh, well, I think Jesus is a little off on this or a little off on that uh, because that is a certain path to destruction uh, because it's going to bring you to irrational. When you start changing who Jesus is or what he said or why he said it, you've got to be very careful because you're creating irrational in your own mind, in your own inner dialogue, and you're going to send yourself down a logic path that's going to get you in trouble. And I'm going to introduce you to some of those a little bit later as we get into it, um, because I'm going to challenge some of your thinking on some stuff this morning. Um, But here's the context, a little bit combative, 
I say a little bit. That's sarcastic. Definitely combative, but being sly or subtle. Jesus answered. By the way, did he know why they were answering, asking the question? Absolutely, right? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's a great uh, quote. He's quoting from Old Testament, and we're going to show that in a little bit later. But he goes on, and he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these which I love this because this is where we change from most important to greatest. And, and some people love to uh, complain about Scripture when it doesn't line up. Uh, and the other passage says, what is the greatest commandment? This one says, what is the most important commandment? Well, at the end of the discussion, he says, well, this is, there's no other commandment greater than this, right? That's where he brings in the word great. And uh, we got to get away from mints and words especially since we're translating from another language, right? Um, but notice what happens. The scribe asked for one commandment. What's the most, the singular, most important commandment? Singular, no S on the end. Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, soul, strength, mind, which by the way, he added to the Old Testament, which wow, that's a gutsy move. You gotta have some authority and a little bit of chutzpah if you're going to add mind to the little trinity that was going on there, soul, strength, right? And then he adds mind to it because they're in an age when what you think is really important. Greek philosophy, Roman cultures, everything's taking off and you've got these philosophers. Well, if we really think about this, we can, and Jesus says, no, God's got to control your mind too. But then instead of just leaving it at that, he says, and there's a second, by the way, because your question was wrong. Love that. Oh, what's the greatest or the most important commandment? He says, well, actually, there's two. Because we like to compartmentalize as humans, and Jesus says some things can't be separated. You see, when you love God, you love your neighbor. And I want to I make sure you're catching the trajectory here. When you love God, you have to buy into doctrine of community. Wait, no, it just says love your neighbor. Yes, love your neighbor is doctrine of community. We cannot exist by ourselves. In fact, God says that it's not good for us to be alone. He says it at the very beginning of the whole book of the Bible, not just Mark, but way back in Genesis, the very beginning of, it's not good for us to be alone. God created community, he created people, and then he, he says, go multiply, fill the earth. God wants community. Well, shouldn't it be communities, Scott? There's many different communities. In our culture, the way social media and our culture wants to define it, there are a bunch of communities. But the way God defines it, it's all one community. We're all his community. That's great news. Well, no, it, it, it denies the uh, specifics of different communities and ethnicities. And no, actually what it does is it validates all of them. It values all of them. Everybody is included. It's inclusive. Love this story because uh, here, we're, here we see a scribe trying to catch Jesus and Jesus says, no, let me show you, let me pull back the curtain and show you there's much more going on. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other, great, uh, no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, you need to understand that the Bible's funny. That right there is really funny. A human told Jesus that he was right. I think that's absolutely hilarious. You are right, teacher. You have truly said, 
that he is one. See, he was a scribe. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He studied them. He copied them. He was an expert in Old Testament law. And what Jesus has now done is he has uh, quoted Deuteronomy. And the scribe says, oh, you got the, you got the memory verse right. It's kind of what he's saying. There is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, there's mine, and with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Wow. Scribe here paraphrases, translates a little bit, summarizes. You sound like he's right. Sounds like he's on the right path, and he is. And watch what Jesus says. And Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's so great. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Um, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? I, I want to be in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> I mean, beyond that. Beyond with your family. Beyond back in fellowship. Isn't our highest priority to be close to God or to be with God? Isn't one of the greatest titles that we have for God, Emmanuel, God with us? That's in community. There's a, there's a weird little subtle thing that goes on here where he says, hey, what's the most important command? He says, love the Lord and love your neighbor. And then he says, as getting it right in his thinking, uh, Jesus says, yeah, you're, you know what? You're getting close. You're getting really close. What is close? Closest fellowship, closest community. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. That absolutely makes sense. I'd be scared to death to ask Jesus questions if I was being sarcastic. But if my heart's in the right place, I'll ask him every question that I have. Well, let me ask you, are you catching the community in this? It might be hard to see. It's all throughout Scripture, all over the place. But some of you might be saying, well, gee, Scott, that's just the most important commandment or the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. I can just love my neighbor. and Yeah, but what are the implications of community? How does Jesus see loving your neighbor playing out? over time, over distance, over different types of people, uh, maybe the most poignant issue for us today, considering all the things that are going on in our culture and all the different states, all the different protests, rioting, unjust, murder. Big topic for us. And, And probably the underlining thing in everything that's being said is community. How does this feel, community feel about that community? And how should this community address that community? There's all these community questions going on right now. What's right? What's justice? What's injustice? What should we be funding? What not? Should we be violent or not? I think as Christians, all of that is defined for us by those two statements. One, because Jesus said in another passage, all of the law and the prophets hinges on those two things. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. If we're going to get to the answer of community and how we address what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our state or our county or our church or your family, and most importantly, inside of you, we've got to ask the question, what does love your neighbor mean? What does God want for that? I want us to look at uh, at least five things, and we're going to jump to a bunch of different passages. We're going to cover a bunch of ground. But I want you to see what God calls us to. You see, it's it's one thing to say, uh, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Great. Sounds good. Sign me up. Um, Now, can you get out a pen and make me a a to-do list of how, how do I do that? I don't know about you. I've always needed a to-do list. I asked my wife, can you give me a to-do Like, wait, wait, what are the things we need to do? 
And my kids need something. I said, wait, can you explain it with all the detail as much as possible? Why? Because I need to know how. It's driven my life in so many ways. It's driven my faith. It's driven so many different things in how I approach people and things and accomplishments. How do you do it? And I want us to get through some of that this morning. And we're going to look at it from a bunch of different places. First one I want us to see is uh, God calls us to loving and obeying God first and always. It is absolutely poignant that uh, in, in verse 29 and 30, it says, hey, first thing, most important, love God. Before we talk about anything else, love God. Before you do, before you think, before you feel, access God. Does he drive how you feel, how you think. Does he d drive your decision-making, your priorities, what you value? First and foremost, do you start with God? Because everything else does. All of creation started with God. All of your relationships started with God. The way you think, that you can think, that your eyeball has pieces in it that function in different ways, all started with God. And we have to start there or none of it matters. And the great thing is, when we start there, everything starts to make sense. If we were gonna talk about the value of George Floyd, I'm starting that discussion with God. That he is God's creation, period. First and foremost, and that says amazing things about him and his rights and his existence and how he should have been treated. It's an easy place to go when I start with God. But when we do that, it has to be all-encompassing with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You know what I love that Jesus did is he took an Old Testament in the way they understood that passage with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And he said, yeah, culture's changed a little bit and you need to understand that it was meant to be all-encompassing. That means your mind also. We need to figure out that for ourselves as Christians, that we need to figure out how to love God in every way possible. Genesis 12, two through four says this, and I will make you a great nation. What's a nation? That's a community, right? He's talking to Abraham. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, by the way, he says this to Abraham. He says it again later to Abraham, chapter 18. He says it to J uh, Isaac. Then he says it to Jacob. He says similar things to Joseph. He says them to David. He keeps saying them all throughout his existence and interaction with people. I'm going to make you into community. And not just a community. His goal for community is greatness. And I will bless you. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God created community and he created it to be good. We should say great because that's what the passage says. He said this to Israelites at the very beginning. He says, here's your purpose. Be a great community that is a blessing. I'm starting this deal, and this is what I'm starting. That's him saying it. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the communities of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went and said, eh, I don't know, I'll think about it. No. Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. This is great, and it's a little picture because you got two people there, Abraham and Lot. God says to Abraham, we're going to do community. We're going to do it really, really well. In fact, some are going to call it great. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Now, do you buy it? Abraham says yes. He walks on, does as the Lord told him. What happened to Lot? What's the story of Lot later? Lot decides he's not going to do community the way God has called him. God, Lot's going to do Lot the way Lot wants to do Lot, and he's going to do it a lot. So he's a, Lot doesn't put God first. 
we got the little compare contrast and the passage is given to us so that we can see the compare contrast. Abraham does great. Lot goes his own way. Abraham succeeds, becomes a great nation, and we worship his God to this day. Lot is a bit player. He might not have even made the poster in the background for the Abraham highlight. See, God created, and he's the beginning uh, of this idea of community. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, this is the phrase that Jesus commands, the command that Jesus quotes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Is that a numerical designation? Or is it a priority designation? Oh no, is there a test on this? Do I have to write down an answer? Uh, How about we go with both? God is unified, and he's highest priority. Everything starts first with him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, with all your soul, with all your might. End of verse. So it doesn't say mind in there. I was telling you, Jesus adds mind to it later when we, we see the quote in Mark. So God calls us, number one, uh, to loving and obeying God first and always. How did Abraham get there? He did what God said. He obeyed him. Number two, God calls us to bless communities with love and actions. We're here and God blesses us in community so that we can be a blessing to other communities. What does the passage say? Verse 31, it says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And not just love your neighbor as it might be appropriate. Love your neighbor as is convenient. Love your neighbor as might be beneficial to them. No, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as much as you love yourself. Uh, How many communities can you say that? That you love them as much as you love yourself. That's a hard one. That's a sit on that one and Let it ferment. Let it sink in. Luke 10, verse 25. We're going to jump through a bunch on this one, and this is is really important. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Is he being combative? Absolutely. Is uh, Is he attacking? For sure. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Have you been reading Scripture on your own, buddy? A great question. And he answered, the lawyer, lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Ooh, lawyer got it right. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. <laughs> Go do it, obey it, right? That was point number one. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, uh, and who is my neighbor? Does it sound like he wants to do it? Or is he looking for a way out? This is a great story. Uh, Insert good Samaritan story right here. There's a man traveling, beaten, left for dead. Three guys walked by. Somebody helped him. Jesus asked a question at the end. Who proved to be a neighbor? The Samaritan. Go and do likewise. You see, we're, we're, we're meant to bless communities by love and actions, not just by word, not just by statements, not just by, well, I got a good feeling in my heart, but I'm gonna go do my own thing on my own. No, we're supposed to put actions to that. A lawyer didn't wanna do that in Luke 10. Genesis 12, two through four. Genesis 12, two through four gives us this, and I will make you a great nation, Right? So that you, uh, you will be blessed, and I will bless those who bless you. Why? So that you can, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why are we going to do community? So that you can learn how to bless each other, help each other, serve each other, work, sweat, sacrifice for other people. 
Why? Because you are your own biggest problem. Your selfishness, our sin nature is, "Eh, I'm going to do what I want, what I'm comfortable with, what's easy for me, what benefits me, what pays me off, what gives me a higher title and more stuff. Sadly, that's what drives and motivates most of us. Is it going to get me more stuff? Well, let's do that. And, And it's so backwards. God says, no, we do community so that we can be a blessing through love and actions. Leviticus 19 actually is what Jesus is quoting. I love that this lawyer in Luke says, well, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. Jesus comes back at this lawyer, and we've already seen what the scribe said in Mark. And he says, you want to know about scripture? Have you guys, do you guys remember way back Leviticus 19? Let me show you what it says. He says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. Let's think, let's talk, let's reason frankly with them, right? Let's engage, have a communicate, uh, conversation. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do you know that love your neighbor as yourself wasn't Jesus's original quote from the New Testament? He actually took it from Leviticus 19. And that's the passage he references when he tells the story in Luke of the Good Samaritan. And then watch what happens here because actually he's re- that references uh, something that comes up a little bit later. Uh, verse 33, same passage, 19 of Leviticus. Verse 33 and uh, 34. We got it? Don't worry, I got it. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. The stranger shall be like a native. You catching this? And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He says, look, never forget. You used to be captive. You used to be slaves. You were stuck in Egypt. In fact, I put you there. And by the way, that community blessed you. You grew, you got stronger, you were healthy. In some ways, Egypt took care of you because I made them because I'm in control. Now, go take care of other communities. Don't treat foreigners as less important. Treat them as important as you don't hate your brother don't do any of these don't bear a grudge all this stuff what happens then in matthew chapter 5 watch this matthew chapter 5 here we go you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you your enemies are part of the community do you pray for the other political party do you pray for your boss do you pray for the guy that cut you off do you pray for the people that posted about you do you speak nicely in your return post how are you carrying yourself are you a blessing yeah that might be one of the greatest standards you use for the rest of your life love god and then are you a blessing to them and would they say that you're a blessing because here's what's going to happen you try to go out there and say, uh, hey, so-and-so, does, does Scott love you? Probably that person out of guilt and wanting to be a good individual say, yeah, I think Scott loves me. It's a very different question. Is, is, has Scott been a blessing to you? Mm, I don't know. Let me think about that one. Wow, I hope no one ever has to think when they're asked if you were a blessing to them. I hope that they can come right off with, yeah, actually, they've been great to me. Here's how. Bing, 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 bing. Work on your bings. Line up your bings, okay? Of being a blessing. Last one, Romans chapter 12, uh, 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil. How, how many people get repaid for evil with evil? How many? No one. Who's included in that? Everybody gets a pass on getting evil from evil, right? Ooh, ooh, now we have a problem with some of the riot stuff going on. We don't repay evil with evil. Two wrongs don't make a right. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Now, 
There are people in our community who believe this and espouse to it. They have ideology behind it. And you know what? They get to think what they want to think. Our job is not to necessarily correct them or chastise. Our job is to bless them. How do we bless people that are angry and upset and violent? Very carefully. With love. But we have to do it. Why? Because God demands it. He created us that way for that purpose. There is no option B. Our job is to be a blessing, period. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Even your spouse. Are you living peaceably with your spouse? So far as it depends on you, are you live peaceably with your spouse? We're going to talk about that next week. Commercial. Next week, doctrine of divorce. It's going to be a great week. I hope you're there. We're all getting divorced. Next week, that's what we're doing. Why? Because we've got to learn how to, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Christians, this is a command to you, and you cannot hold anyone else to this standard. But you are never to avenge yourself. What the rest of culture does, the rest of culture does. But as Christians, as followers of Christ who believe in the name of Jesus, who espouse to his death and on the cross, his victory over death and sin, his resurrection, his rightful place, seated in authority at the right hand of God the Father from the beginning of creation to all the end of time, he says, you are not to avenge yourself. Here's why. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. He says, uh, time out. This is my business. Yours is over here. Don't get in my business. In fact, you're going to mess up so much at trying to be in a blessing to other communities that just spend all of your time. You'll never, ever get it right. You're going to just have to keep working on it. You'll be blessed through it. You'll enjoy it. Others might feel blessed through it, but never go over to the vengeance side because you've you got to get this right first. And there's no one perfect. No, not one, right? So one, God calls us to love and obeying God first and always. Number two, God calls us to bless communities with love and action. Number three, God calls us to himself as the foundation and authority of community. Who's the actual authority of community? Who started community, designed it, created it, makes it happen, sustains it, holds it, protects it? A governor, a president, a board of directors, a supervisor? No. God is the ultimate authority of community, period. Now, I want to walk through this because I've heard people say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's more times in the last eight weeks than I've ever heard in my whole combined life before. And I want to clarify a couple of things. We're going to get that in just a second. But uh, in, in our passage, verses 29 and 32, and then 34, three different ways it, it shows God as the foundation, authority of our community. Right? The Lord is one. Right? You shall love the Lord your God. Right? He's the, found, he's the authority. But Romans, uh, Romans 13 is where we start to get into this discussion. Verses 1 through 3. And Paul's talking to them, and there's a big, there's a, there's a, this is a great question for them in their culture because uh, Rome is in control. They are the authority. The Christians are oppressed in many different ways. And we see that throughout the Bible in a bunch of different people Daniel, Jesus himself, David, before he was king. There's a bunch of different passages where the character is at odds with the authority. But I want you to see here what it says here. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to the governing authorities. Right? For there is no authority except from God. Whoops. What just happened there? 
we love and the newspaper loves and social media and all the networks, they love to, oh, Christians are called to obey the governing authorities. Yeah, because who's the authority of them? There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Oh no, now we've got a problem, a conundrum. God's the ultimate authority, but he's placed others in charge in certain places. Okay, what do we do with that? Well, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Oh no. What do we do? I got to do what all the authorities say all the time because God's the ultimate authority and he's the one that put them in place. Maybe, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, that's what you're called to. God says, do good conduct. You know, the authorities are going to define that for you most of the time. What does good conduct look like? Well, they'll say, hey, do this. Right? Wear a mask. Stay this far away from people. Drive on the right side of the road. Stop at stop signs. Those kind of things. Right? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? So you should fear God because ultimately he's in authority, right? Then do what is good and you will see, receive his approval. We're ultimately called to follow God, right? Now, has he put authorities in place? Absolutely. And when they make suggestions that we should uh, you know, wear this mask or do that thing, should we do it? Absolutely. Why not? It's good conduct. If they say you want to cross the border, you got to get this little passport thing. In order to get the passport thing, you got to pay this much money. You got to show proof of birth and whatever. Should you be following that? Absolutely. Why? Because the authority said, yeah, well, who are they? They're who God put in place. You don't like the president? You don't like the governor of California? Get over it. You were not part of that decision. Well, wait, I voted. Yes, you did. And we vote as Christians because the authorities have said you should vote and we comply with the authorities. But ultimately, who gave us the governor and who gave us the president or the last president or whichever president, the ones you like and the ones you don't like, get over it. We're called to live as Christians, be a blessing to the community. That's it. But watch this. Because we get to uh, Luke chapter 20 and there's, there's a subtle little thing that's going to come in here where it's like, wait a minute. There's a bigger way to view authority, earthly authorities. Right? Watch this. Scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. Man, they wanted him. They wanted him dead. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them and they feared the people. So they watched him, sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher. By the way, what's her motivation? They're all cooperative? No. Teacher, we know that you speak and treat, teach rightly. And show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Boy, they're saying it sarcastically, and yet they got it absolutely right in their sarcasm. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Whoa. Who's the authority? Is God the authority or Caesar? Huh, Jesus? Tell us. Tell us, Jesus. Huh, huh, huh. Tribute. What a, what a weird word. Who do we give tribute to? But Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a Daenerys. Whose likeness and inscriptions does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And now Christians that love to use that verse, oh, well, we just got to do what Caesar says. Really? Careful. Because we always stop there. There's a comma right there. You see that comma? I don't know if you can see that comma. I'm hoping, put your glasses on, get closer to your screen. There's a comma there. And I'm so sick of people reading the Bible and stopping at the commas. There's whole passages of great things and we take one verse or one quote or one memory thing, one concept, and we skip the whole context. 
And therefore we miss the love of God, the blessing, the truth that we're meant to have. What comes after the comma should be a great question for you when you read scripture regularly. Because Jesus did say to the lawyer, what does the scripture say and how does it read to you? After the comma. And to God, the things that are God's. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I hear that said all the time. Really, where's the next phrase of the same sentence? And to God, the things that are God. What's implied there is render to God the things that are God's. God is the ultimate authority. And he has put governing authorities on earth Men and women who are meant to give us direct. When your teacher says, do it. When the policeman says, do it. When the governor suggests, do it. So the way it goes. But it says then there, and to God, the things that are God's. What's God's? Worship. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. The Sabbath shall be kept holy. You are to worship and fellowship. You are to serve. You are to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor by yourself. What is God's is for us to worship. You belong to God. Give yourself to God. When the authorities tell us to do anything, absolutely. Do the paperwork, pay the fee or the fine. Stay on the right side of where you're supposed to stay. Don't cross those lines. If someone in authority gives the instruction, follow it. But when the authorities tell you when to worship or who to worship or how to worship. That's not theirs. We render to God what is God's and that is worship. And no one can tell us not to worship. No one can tell us when to worship and no one can tell us to to worship someone else. And I, I challenge you because I'm so tired of hearing the Caesar thing. Did Jesus defy the authorities? Absolutely many times. Did he answer all the questions Pontius Pilate asked him when he was asked before he was crucified? No, he didn't. Did the disciples defy the authorities? Absolutely they did. Did David defy the king for years? Why? Because the king was trying to change what David was supposed to worship. We see throughout scripture Christians who follow God define the authorities in only one area. When, who, and how they worship. How about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? What? Who are they? You don't even know their names anymore. Why? Because they were compliant to the authorities and took on the name changes that were forced on them. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because that was their secular names that the, the authorities in Babylon decided to give to them. And you know what? They did everything that, they, uh, that, that was asked of them by the people that were their captors. They ate the food that they were supposed to unless they could ask, and hey, could we maybe have some vegetables? And they let them. But they learned the language. They took on the names. They did every single thing the authorities asked them to do. And today, they would social distance, and they would wear the mask, and they would follow the rules. But when they said, you can't worship your God, and you will bow to this statue, and I will tell you when and if you can gather, they said, throw us in the lion's den, or throw us in the fire because we will worship our God. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. So please don't tell me about when I'm supposed to worship. When it comes to community, we bless our community in every single way possible. But community doesn't tell us ever how to worship. Separation of church and state was meant to protect the church from the state. And the state should never have to be protected from the church because the church should be blessing the state in every single way. And then when it's time for us to worship, stay out of the way. Because we worship the Lord our God with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might, all our heart in every way. God is the ultimate authority. Now, should we pay our taxes? 
Yeah. George Washington's on there. Give your money to George. That's what render to Caesar or to Caesar is. Do you pay your taxes? Yeah, pay your taxes. Vote. Volunteer at the local school or the local food shop. There's so many things that you can do. But when it comes to worship, the state, the authorities, the president, the governor, the county should never tell us what we can and cannot do. Do we, knew, do we use our brains? Absolutely. Is it safe for us to gather in certain times? Maybe not. Why? Because we have science, and science matters. And when science tells us we should be six feet apart or 30 feet apart and wear a mask or do whatever, we should do that. Why? Because we love the Lord our God with our mind also. But to simply tell us you cannot worship, you cannot gather, you cannot have fellowship, there is no earthly authority that would do that. And every single earthly authority that we see in Scripture made mistakes. And that's why David took over Saul. That's why Daniel went to the lion's den. That's why Jesus didn't answer the questions. Because there are certain times where we stand up. And the church should stand up. I'm going to stop there because I'm a little excited. Number four, let's get through this. God calls us to value community more than individuals. Did you hear that correctly? And are you reading that? God calls us to value community more than individuals. I need you to hear that because that's biblical and most of culture that you live in doesn't believe this. I have my rights is one of our favorite quotes in our culture. You can't violate someone's rights. And the Bible is written in such a way that the community outweighs the value of the individual. Now, here's the hard part. Community is made up of individuals. So you got to take care of the individuals too or you don't have a community. But you can't have one individual's rights dominate or be more important than the community. We've got to be very careful about that. And I want to give you some examples. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. Luke chapter 10, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's trying to do himself. Jesus says, oh, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me tell you a story about a man who's traveling. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And then at the end, he says, basically the implication Everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is to be loved by you. Everyone is to be blessed by you. Everyone is to be part of your community. And you are to consider them as more important than yourself. If you need to put them in on your transportation and you need to fund taking care of them, buy them medicine, take them somewhere, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Samaritan did for the man left for dead along the road. His individual rights were not more important than the guy that was laying on the ground. Man, that's poignant for what just happened. Our community is affected by what happens from a guy laying on the ground. And we need to protect the community by protecting the individual. At the same time, an individual is never more important than the community. Gee, Scott, that sounds complicated. You're getting there. It's not easy. But we're called to do it and do it well. In fact, do it in great ways to where we become a blessing. Right? Uh, last one in this, Philippians 2, 3. I want to make sure you see this. Paul writes to that church and says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, who? <laughs> you mean who's your neighbor? <laughs> Everyone, count everyone more significant than yourself. Nice and succinct, right? Lastly, God calls us to get as close as you can. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to be perfect. Our community will never be perfect. Our church will never be perfect. Your pastor will never be perfect. He's too excited sometimes, and then he's non-responsive at other times, Right? Your family won't be perfect. The police will never be perfect. 
Your politicians will never be perfect. Get over it. But chase God in such a way that it can be said of you, verse 34, in our passage, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says to the guy, you're not far off. You're getting close. Is the implication, oh, you're good right there? No, the implication is get closer. Do the best you can. That's what community with me is like. That's what communion with me is like. That's how we do community. Love and blessing. God is the ultimate authority from the beginning until the end. And then we get as close as we can. Amen? I don't know when we're going to meet again. But I know that it's going to be soon. And we're going to do it in ways where we love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And we're smart about it. We're going to take the science into things. And yes, we are going to listen to the authorities. But at the same time, we are going to prioritize that God has called us to worship and fellowship within our community. And we're going to be like Abraham. We're going to go and do as the Lord had commanded. Amen. Father, help us, help me, uh, guide me, protect me from me. Give us direction. This is a difficult time, Lord, and tension uh, throughout the nation uh, is probably boiling over into tension within ourselves, within ourself, within our families. I feel it. And Lord, I, I need your direction. I need your guidance. I need your humility. I need to step away from vengeance. I need to step toward blessing. Or show us how to do that, Lord. Show us how to be a blessing to our communities. So show us all the avenues for our communities. And then guide us as we do it. We thank you for all this and we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.